Do you remember a moment in your life when you tried something so daring and so large? Do you remember that moment when you had to do something so big and so beyond you that you thought, can I even do this? Do you remember that moment? Do you remember that feeling of fear or, or nervousness or uncertainty that you might have had? I know for me, some of you know I grew up in the Soviet Union before I came to Canada. And uh, one of my earliest memories was uh, going swimming. Uh, my dad would, often it was my dad, sometimes my mom or grandparents, would bus us across Kiev to, uh, to get to those big Soviet Olympic uh, swimming pools. And uh, they were giant and full of people. And it was always exciting to get there and to get yelled at by your instructors. Um, it was shame coaching, I think it was called. It was an amazing time. Um, and what it did for me, it had made me an okay swimmer. I still haven't drowned, so that's always really good. But I remember one specific time in these swimming lessons where, you know, you go through all the things that you have to learn, you know, can you float, can you hold your head underwater, can you do all those kind of things. And there was a time that came along that they said, we're going to be jumping off the swimming pool platforms. Do you remember those? You, I think Harry Bailey here in Saskatoon has those, those platforms that are like, kilometers, miles up in the air, and they're really scary, and uh, I remember, I don't know how old I was, maybe six, seven, I, I, I don't remember my age at that time, but I remember thinking, this is insanity. I can float, yes, but now I'm being asked to jump off this very high platform, and I remember it was a mixed class, like my brother was there somehow, I don't know, maybe he was at my level of swimming, I don't know, he's an older brother, but he was there, and there was older boys, and I think they were jumping to kind of show us how to jump. And they kind of lined us up to the stairs, and we were walking up the stairs slowly. And I remember counting people ahead of me thinking, okay, just in a little bit, it's going to be my turn. And the stairs just kept going and going, and you'd look down, and you couldn't see the bottom anymore. Like, you were really high. And, um, and I remember my brother being a really good older brother coming alongside of me because he saw that I was a little bit nervous. And he just came beside me and just whispered, you know, if you don't jump, the instructor will throw you in. <laughs> and I remember thinking a couple of things. I don't want to do this. But secondly, that I have to be brave and I, had to, I couldn't show any fear. And so as I was making my way up and counting the way and getting closer and closer to the edge of that platform and getting there and then looking down and seeing nothing, like it was, like these are kilometers up in the air. <laughs> and just standing there forever and thinking, what are my options? And I remember to this day, I remember the, having these memories. What if I jump funny and my head hits the back of the platform and I knock myself out? Or, or what if I don't want that to happen, so I lean forward, but then I tumble and I hit sideways? And all these things are running through my little brain. And then at that point, I remember turning and at a peripheral, seeing the instructor making his way up the stairs. <laughs> and as he got to the top, I yelled, you'll never get me, and I jumped. I survived, and it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. Last week, we began a series called Come and See. Come and experience something. And in this series, we want to look at habits that form us, the habits that form the people we are becoming, and the habits that can transform us and others around us. So last week, if you missed our message, it was a lot about invitational culture and looking at the idea, why should we invite and invest in other people around us? Now, if you've missed it, I'd encourage you to download our free app. 
It is free, and it's full of really great resources. There's ways to sign up for things like Marriage Course, but there's also ways to connect with our, our messages. You can hear all the things that you might have missed. Um, you can also get discussion guides there for your circle groups and message notes to follow along. It's just a great way to stay connected with us. And last week, we began this series of Come and See about these habits because we all know that life sometimes is complicated, that life sometimes is hard, and sometimes it's difficult. And we all together just want to get it right. We all together want to come, come along somebody and say, I know it's hard right now, but we want to help you get it right. Because how many of us don't want to get it right? And so this series that I'm unpacking is for all of us. And maybe you're a skeptic or you're just curious and you're here checking things out and you're wondering, okay, well, what is this? He started with a pool story and now he's talking about come and see. What, is this, what does this have for me? And I want to suggest that thank you for being here first and foremost. Welcome. I'm so glad you're here. But I want to suggest that there's something about an event 2,000 years ago when Jesus came into this world that changed the world forever. There was a way that Jesus did his life, but more than that, through his death and resurrection that changed the world forever. And I want you to discover that with us. So if you're here and you're skeptical and you're uncertain, welcome. If you're a new Christian, if you've just kind of made this decision and you're beginning to figure things out and try to see where do I connect and how do I live a faithful life, welcome here. We're going to unpack that today. Or maybe you have been a seasoned Christian. Maybe you've been going to church for quite a while and you're kind of stuck or you're kind of wondering, what is my next step in life? I've been going to church. I've been part of circle group. I've kind of been participating in things. But what is my next step? And so look, I know the pool story that I, that I told is silly and funny, but reality is that in life that we have to taste and see things. We have to sometimes take a step forward even into things that are quite scary or uncertain. We have to push ourselves out of comfort zones so that we can broaden ourselves, so that we can grow, and so that we could experience the depth and width of life. And when Jesus said, come and see to his first followers, he took them places where they were very uncomfortable. He took them to places they were, they were unsure, to, unsure of. He revealed things that were bigger and greater than they could have possibly imagined. And many of them were skeptical. Many of them were afraid. Many of them didn't understand it. They didn't even know what to do with the stuff that Jesus was teaching. And yet that invitation that Jesus gave them changed them and the world around them. They committed their lives to a cause and to a faith that was so much bigger than themselves, that it brought dignity, hope, life, meaning, and purpose into the world in a radical new way. Last week, I asked the question, what will you be remembered by? At the end of time, what will people remember you by? And then I asked the follow-up question, what will the church be remembered by? At one point, the church was remembered for justice, for kindness, for unequivocal love, and it can again. So here's one thing I know. When we take a step forward in our growth, whether it is in swimming, and we trust the process of learning to jump into deep water, whether it is in relationships, where we trust to take a step forward and trust somebody with all of who we are, whether it is in career to try something new, we must take a step. We must take something that's so daring to progress in any of these areas of life. But 
it comes before taking the step, we have a time of preparing and doing all the little things to understand how to take that step forward. There's a training, there's an experience, there's something that we must do before we take the giant leap to prepare ourselves. And this is why Jesus invites us first to come and see, but then begins to teach us of how to walk, and then how to run, and then how to jump. So whether you are an agnostic here or a Christian, every single one of us wants something that is real and meaningful and that has depth. None of us really want to be satisfied with just doing the doggy crawl in the pool. No matter how scared we are, none of us want to stay there. Even subconsciously, we want to take step to the next level. We want to jump off the platform, even if it's scary. Because staying plateaued will never stimulate us. It will never help us. It will not equip us for the difficulties of life. We were made for much more. And so Jesus simply says, come and see, and it will change you forever. So the reason I started last week with the invitation being a keystone habit in our lives is that the church is a community of people. We need one another. We all need help. But there is a part that we must choose. There are things that we do to help ourselves grow. We need people to come around us, to engage us, to, to, be, to help us, to walk alongside of us. But there is a part where we need to begin to take things for ourselves and learn how to walk, how to crawl, how to run. So I want to explain this a little bit more in depth. So I want us to look at a letter called Hebrews in the New Testament, which is the second part of the Bible. And we don't really know who the author is. Some people think it's Apostle Paul. Some people think it's his companions. We don't really know. But what we do know is the author is writing to a group of people who just began their journey of seeking Jesus. And they're looking for more. They're looking to understand the difficult questions of life. And the author begins to address these. And the author is trying to lead them to a growth and to a depth that they're not going into yet. Now, if you're not there yet, if you're not sure who this Jesus is yet, welcome here, like I said earlier. We're glad you're here. But you can kind of look into what the Christians are beginning to believe. You can kind of look at this letter as we unpack it and say, oh, I see, that's what they're trying to do. So if, it, if you're just skeptical, if you're just trying to figure this out, that's great, take a look at this. But if you are in that journey where you're beginning to take Jesus seriously, this is what the author is telling you, because this is the early church that he was writing to. So he starts in verse 11 of chapter 5, and he says this. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. We have much to say about this, so this being God, faith, this being what God is up to in this world. This is what the author has been talking about in the previous four chapters. And he says, we have much more to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear. Why is it hard? It's hard because you no longer try to understand. Another translation says, says it like this, because you're dull of hearing. Or another translation says, you're slow to learn. And that's kind of painful to hear if this is the church that got this letter and they're like, wait a minute, what? What are you saying? But what he's saying is, I want you to grow. I want you to expand. I want you to take the next steps of life, of worldview, of faith, but you're not listening well. 
See, sometimes when we come to church, we can have this faulty idea that it's somebody else's job to make sure you grow in your faith. Like it's the professional Christian's job to make sure that you grow and understand. Like it's the pastor's job or the teacher's job or, or the worship team's job. It's somebody else's job for you to grow. And the author is saying, no, those play a part, but there's a part where you need to take steps forward to expand and to understand. What he's saying is this, and I kind of want to tie it back to my pool story. What if, in my little memory of going up to those stairs and up to that platform, what if my instructor actually explained all the things I needed to do? What if he taught me to do it right? What if he, through all the things and all the lessons we have taken, explained to me what it's like to go into water, to hold your breath, to float, to paddle up? What if he actually talked to me and explained that he said, I would never force you to do it, but I think you're ready. What if he said, you know what, there's older kids that are going to go ahead of you and you can see how they do it, and then you can mimic it. And if you're nervous, don't worry, I'm never going to throw you in. And what if all my worries and all my fears and all my insecurities tuned all that out and all I heard, I'm going to throw you in and you got to do this. What if I was dull in hearing? What if all my assumptions, my poor understanding, my faulty child like you made me actually blind to what my instructor knew I was ready for? What if I got in my own way of growing up? And the same thing is happening in this letter. And so the author is kind of frustrated about their poor listening. This group of people that began to say, yeah, we believe in Jesus, Yeah, we we want to be part of this way of living. We want to be known as people who love others well. We want to be people who help the poor, the sick, the widow, the betrayed, the disqualified. And what if the author is actually frustrated with them because they're not taking the next steps of growth? And he says in verse 12, In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. And he says this, you need milk, not solid food. So he's saying, in fact, by this time, you ought to be leading others. You ought to be coming along someone else and guiding them and mentoring them and helping them. And yet, I still have to teach you elementary truths. You should be advanced, but you're choosing to stay a novice. It's painful to hear. Can you imagine this letter being written about you? And you know what the problem is? He's saying you need to act your age. And that's harsh. That's a harsh thing to hear. Do you ever remember being told that? Act your age? I mean, if somebody says that to me, even jokingly, because I'm joking around, it's like you kind of can laugh it off. But then inside you're like, oh, I'm just, I'm just joking around. Because it hurts to hear that, right? And if something like this was written about me, I wouldn't be like, hey, let's keep reprinting this. Let's keep rewriting this. Let's keep telling people about this. I'd be like, let's recycle it and let nobody hear about this because I don't want anybody to know that I'm acting childish. And we don't like that at any age, do we? Like when you have a toddler and you tell them that they're acting like a baby, they get all really upset at you for saying that. Or if you have a teenager and you're saying they're acting like a toddler, they get really mad at that. Or if you're an adult and somebody tells you you're acting like a teenager, you get quite upset. 
And we don't really grow out of that, being upset at that, right? Because eventually it doesn't become about an age marker, but about a stage of life, right? It doesn't matter what age I'm now. It matters, though, that I'm in a good stage, that I'm a good dad, that I'm a good husband, that I'm a good pastor. It becomes that I'm living up to a stage of life I'm in. And the same is true for all of us, isn't it? That's why we keep identifying generations and stations, stations of life and expectations. Because there's something in us, whether you're religious or not, that calls us to live up to a measuring stick. Whether we like it or not. And I know some of those measuring sticks are false and not accurate. And so we keep searching because we're like, there's something I should be achieving at this point. There's something in me that I should be pursuing. There's something in me that aches for more. We describe generations, you know, we call them millennials and Generation X and boomers and greatest generation and what we should be like or shouldn't be like and which generation was better, which was worse, and we def redefine and reject or, uh, or accept things from different generations. There's all these things that are measuring sticks in our life and generational stages are one of them because there's something in us that desires meaning and purpose and hope. And we look at a previous generation and say, how did you do it? Oh, I don't like that. Or I really like that. And so the question that jumps out of this text to me is that are you acting your age spiritually? And it's a kind of hard question to hear. But that's exactly what's being asked here. That's exactly what the author is unpacking. The author is leveling this at the people, and in case you miss it, here's the insult. He's actually insulting them, and he says, you need milk, not solid food. And that's a harsh jab. But there's also a big truth here, and I don't want us to miss it, especially if our mind is wondering right now, and you're thinking, oh man, and you're feeling hurt because like, is he talking about me? How did he know? Or maybe your mind is wondering and going, yeah, that person down the pew, they should really be acting their age. Bring it back. The truth is this, that like the progression in our physical body, like the progression in our physical life from baby to child to teen to young adult to adult to senior, just as there is a physical progression, there is one that is spiritual. Even if you're a skeptic, even if you don't believe, you were designed in such a way that your spirit yearns for this progression. This is why we search. This is why we ask questions. This is why we cry and laugh. This is why we go through a variety of emotions because there's something in us that yearns for something more in life. There's a natural progression that is happening in all of us. And even if you're not a Christian, it's still happening in you because you were designed this way. You're asking questions about life and some of them can be answered, and some of them not so much. That's why we have so many sciences. We have philosophy, psychology, theology. Something in you is craving to make sense of life. And so you investigate, and you begin to form your worldview. And because you were designed to grow spiritually, because you were designed to grow inwardly, you ask. And if you don't understand something, sometimes it feels weird because something in you was meant to go forward, was meant to take a plunge, was meant to take a step forward. And this is exactly what the author is addressing. He's saying, you're drinking milk. By the way, 
He's not saying drinking milk is bad, by the way. We all have different stages, and each stage is good in our growth. The fact that he's addressing here is you started there, but you're still there. And the image is kind of unsettling, right? If you think of an adult drinking out of, I mean, they didn't have a baby cup then, I don't think. But if you imagine somebody drinking, like, a, like an adult drinking out of a baby cup, it's an unsettling, it's a weird image. And it's meant to be unsettling. It's supposed to kind of feel weird when you address it. But sometimes when we read the Bible, those of us that read it, we, we kind of get used to weird stories. So we hear something weird and we just kind of move on. Because we're like, ah, oh, that's weird. Okay, keep going. But we have to be careful in how we read. We're supposed to be unsettled when we come to this passage. It's supposed to be kind of hard to hear. It's supposed to be kind of uneasy. It's supposed to kind of be kind of like, hey, I'm just new to this place and they're it seems like they're accusing me of something here. It's supposed to make you wonder and, and, and think about where you are in your life. And the author is saying, there's nothing wrong with the milk. The problem is that you're still bottle-fed when you should be moving up. There's a spiritual progression that's supposed to happen in these people that the author is pushing them on and insulting them with. And so the question is this. What about you? I mean, physically we see it, right? We nurture our bodies, we take care of ourselves, we eat, we diet, we, we drink water, we do all those healthy things. And when we don't, it really shows, doesn't it? You begin to suffer, you begin to look hungry, you begin to act hangry. You, you do things that are not wise. So what about you? How are you investigating and growing your worldview? How are you understanding faith? What are you wrestling with? How are you feeding the natural spiritual growth that is designed in you to grow, to develop a mature worldview, one that is not easily swayed by the difficulties of life, one that isn't looking at life with immature assumptions and fears, but is growing its roots deep, so when the winds of life come, you can bend, but not break. Or when asked to jump, you don't assume it's a punishment or a torment, but that you have been preparing for this moment your whole life, and the instructor knows that you're ready. So what about you? Not only what stage are you at, but how long have you been there? How long have you been where you are spiritually? And what does the next stage look like for you? How long have you been where you are at? Maybe you have grown in every other possible way, but you are in the same spiritual place for a long, long time. And the uneasiness and the wrestling and the searching you're experiencing is because you have allowed the plateau to be normal. You've allowed to stay there because maybe you now feel safe and you're afraid to take the next step. But your spirit is yearning for you to investigate and to ask questions. Reality is we are all on a journey. We are all searching for answers. We are all looking for meaning of life. And what the author is calling all of us in this passage, what he's calling all of us into is saying, you need to progress. You need to take that next step. Why? Because you deserve better. Your spirit is needing grown-up food and you deserve better. 
verses 13 and 14, the author says, Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. That is, grown-up spirituality, grown-up understanding of who Jesus is, who God is. Solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves. Look at that. They trained themselves. They've taken the steps. There were things that they were taught. There were things they were shown. There were things that they saw. And now they had to take steps. And now they had to progress in their own understanding. Now they had to do something about what they have seen and heard. Constant use to be trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So it is for me and so it is for you. That we must at a certain point take what we have learned in our church environments, what we have learned in our groups, what we have learned by journeying with other people and adopt them into our own practices which will benefit us by growing us spiritually. We must feed ourselves by taking everything that we've learned or encouraged or have been encouraged in and put it into practice in our own life so that we can mature and help others so that we can become instructors, so we can become mentors, so we can become people who will invest in other people's lives because we've seen it done for us. And that is the only way to progress through the stages, is to begin to put things that we know into practice so that we can live spiritually mature life. Here at Circle, at Circle we have a spiritual pathway. Now, this is not a grade. This is not uh, perfect in some sense. It's an acknowledgement that we're all in a journey and that we're spiritually growing. And each and every one of us is searching and developing and each and every stage is significant and important. Whether you're just trying this out and you're not even sure what to make of it, whether you've been here a little while, whether you've been here a long while, each stage is significant. And look, what I want to point out in this, in this pathway is that it's not linear road. There's no end point where you're like, well, now I've got it all. I figured it all out. I have all the answers. It's circular because at a certain stage of your spiritual growth, you come alongside other people and you begin to care for them. Because maturity means stepping into other people's lives and putting to practice what you have learned. It's taking what you know and what you have seen and applying it. And this is the part we must own and grow in. This, is the next, this next part is for the seasoned church person. So if you're new here, it's okay. This is, this is, this is not maybe for you, this part. You can kind of look in and it may seem like I'm pushing the people and you might like that because you're like, hey, some of the Christian folk need to be pushed. So that's okay. So you can listen in. But this next part is something I often tell my kids as well. Spiritual wisdom, this maturity, this next step, this growth is not about how many Bible verses you have memorized. It is good to memorize. It's good to learn. It's good to understand the story. It is not about how much knowledge and puffing up you can have. It is not about, oh, I know the answers to this, or I have a secret that other people don't know. That is not what the Bible is about. That is not what spiritual wisdom or maturity or the way of Christ is about. Spiritual maturity and wisdom is taking those verses and putting them into practice. 
It's beginning to live in the way of Jesus. The verses we have are recorded to show us what Jesus did and, how, and what he taught. Maturity and wisdom is taking that and putting it into practice. It does nothing to tell people how much you know. It does everything to love somebody well. Jesus constantly pushed the religious people of his time. Why? They had all the answers. Think of the Pharisees, Sadducees, and teachers of the law, all the people that we kind of make like to be the bad guys. They were the pastors. They were the guys that knew all the verses and all the passages, everything in the Old Testament could recite it like this. And he accused some of them for just knowing that and not living it out. He was always after their heart, not after their knowledge. So to grow, we must feed, we must learn, and then we, then we must take steps to put it into practice. So maybe it's time for us to examine what diets we, are, we have in our life, what spiritual diets we are partaking in, and what we are forgetting to do because we're not feeding ourselves properly. If you're not a Christian here, if you're a skeptic, I'm so glad you're here. And I know that for some of you, you've heard some of this stuff before and you've encountered a Christian and you've asked them a question and you, and you ask their opinion about something and what frustrates you the most is that Christians often have very strong opinions and you ask them, well, why do you have that opinion? And they throw a verse at you and you have no idea what that means. Or they give you an answer, well, it's, like in, the, it's in the Bible. Jesus didn't come for you to memorize a bunch of answers. He came so you could live and have life and to live, in, in, and to live that life in the way of Jesus that makes up the verses in the Bible. Your life, your life of love is the answer. We are designed to grow physically, mentally, and spiritually. Our worldviews change and grow, or they can stay immature when we, do, we, when we do not investigate, when we do not ask questions, when we do not pursue, when we when we allow ourselves to plateau. So I want to invite you, whether you're a skeptic today or whether you're a seasoned Christian, to begin to read the Bible. But then, to exercise what you're reading. So when it tells you to love your neighbor, to actually love your neighbor. Or where it tells you to forgive, to actually forgive someone. Or maybe you're wrestling with this stuff and you're like, I, I don't know how to put this into practice. I'm not sure what to do with this. I want to invite you to the Bible Project. Every Sunday at 9.30, it's a half an hour earlier to get here, where a group of people gets together and, and, and unpacks what they're reading or how they're understanding the Bible. And I want to invite you to participate in this. And look, I know there's books and podcasts and all the other things you can do, but I want to encourage you to just read for yourself to ask God for wisdom, and then come to talk to a few people about it. And here's what I know. When I screamed at the swimming instructor and I jumped, to this day, I remember the thrill and the excitement and pure joy of the jump, the depth of the water. I remember opening my eyes and seeing the bubbles and coming up and feeling the thrill and excitement that A, I didn't die, but B, that that was really fun. 
And I was so glad that I took that step in my progression, that I took that step forward in that stage, that I took that step forward saying, I'm not satisfied just swimming in the kiddie pool. And I remember swimming really quickly to the edge and crawling out and then running back in line to wanting to do it again. And many of you know what I'm talking about, the moment, the thrill. And I could have missed it all if I chose to be satisfied with where I'm at. And I can say it was fun because I experienced it. And I believe the author means what he says. You deserve better. You deserve to progress. You were made to grow in your spirit. You were made to experience life and life to the fullest. So if you're here and you're hungry for more and you're not sure what's next, I want to challenge you today. In your pews, there's a, there's a connection card. I want to challenge you to take it out. And whether you're a seasoned churchgoer or just new with us, but you're just not sure what your next step is. You've done a bunch of things and you're just wondering, you're struggling, where, where do I go next? Would you identify yourself? Would you write that on the card and saying your name, your phone number or email, the way we can contact you, just asking the question, what's next for me? And would you allow the staff to connect with you and to dream with you and to see where you are in your stage and where you need to go? Would you be so daring to take that step and to fill that out so that we can journey together because we know life is difficult and we know there are struggles and we just want to get it right. So don't put it off. Take the time. Be daring. Fill it out. Take it to the uh, information desk. Because Jesus says you're ready. And I'll help you. And I won't chuck you in when you're not ready into the deep end. But I'll instruct you and I'll walk beside you. And I'll help you take that plunge. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you that you are the ultimate instructor of life. We thank you that you know us, that you love us, and that you're not surprised by where we're at in our journey, but that you want more for us, that you want us to grow, that you want us to know you, and that you want us to have life to the fullest. Thank you for your goodness, God. Thank you for your love and your grace and the hope that you offer. Be with us as we go from here, I praise in your name. Amen. And before you go, we're going to have a team up front here. So if anything stirred your heart and you want to talk about or have somebody pray with you, please take a, be courageous and come up front. But please identify yourself. We'd love to hear from you. Have a great day. Derek. How's it going, bud? Hey, good, good to see you. Thanks.